0: Hi, I'm Maggie Gates, Executive Director of the Carr Center for Human Rights Policy at the Harvard Kennedy School. Welcome to Justice Matters. In this episode, I'm joined by my friend Sarah Zohan, Associate Director at Pillar 2, an organization that advises businesses on human rights due diligence. Sarah and I talked about what you should be looking for this holiday season to make sure you're shopping with an eye to human rights and ethical business practice. While we do not name specific corporations or brands to support, we do provide online resources, best practices to look out for, and other tips to help guide your shopping this season. I hope you enjoy this fun conversation about holiday shopping with a human rights lens. I'm here today with my dear friend, Sarah Zowen. Sarah is Associate Director at Pillar Two, an organization that supports business to respect human rights. And she's an expert on business and human rights, labor rights, and gender justice. She has worked with Fortune 500 companies leading human rights due diligence, as well as guiding their ESG teams on diversity, equity, and inclusion strategy development and implementation. Prior to joining Pillar 2, Sarah spent over a decade as senior policy advisor for Oxfam America's private sector department, where she was the thematic lead on gender equality in cocoa value chains, managed Oxfam's community based human rights impact assessment initiative, and serves as the relationship manager for company engagements for the Oxfam Confederation, including Amazon, Walmart, Mars, and Mondelez. She's a member of the Hawaiian Kanaka Maoli and is pretty much the best person I could think of to join me on this
1: episode. Sarah, hi. Thank you for joining me. Oh my gosh, what a treat. This is so (laughs) much fun. It's great to see you, Maggie. Thanks for having me. Of
0: course, of course. So we are talking today about holiday shopping, winter holiday shopping through a human rights lens. Great topic. I'm so excited for this. Yes. yeah. So we're (laughs) recording in sort of mid-November, December is when this is going to come out. We're approaching winter holiday season. Also, in our personal lives, we have a million birthdays that happen this time of (laughs) year. (laughs) Even if you don't celebrate winter holidays, this is a time of year that people tend to gather together. So you may be looking for a host gift, thank you gifts for people you work with. There are always these sort of like white elephant gift trades at parties, things like this. So... Today, we're going to be talking about some things that you should be looking for when you're doing your shopping at this time of year, if you want to be doing right in the human rights realm.
1: Yeah. So let's kick things off. I'm really excited. And this will also help us with some ideas for our own holiday shopping. Okay, so perfect.
0: Can you start by giving a quick overview? I know I covered some of this in your the brief intro, but tell me what you're doing at Pillar 2
1: and what you guys do there to support your clients. Yeah. So we work with um, mostly corporations, some government. We support them throughout human rights due diligence, whatever, whatever, wherever they are in that path. That can be early stages. It could be anything from just drafting a human rights policy to maybe even further embedding down within their supply chain. So we work with companies across the spectrum in terms of what that looks like in, in terms of maturity. Everything from, like I said, policy to implementation. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's really exciting. And Pillar
0: 2 is based in Australia, right?
1: Yes. So it is founded in Australia. So um, most of the team is over there. And then we are a growing team and have um, several of us over on this side of the globe, which is really exciting. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. That's really, really cool. Okay. So I know you
0: have a list of the top five things to consider. Do you want to just jump in? on that
1: list. Let's jump in. (laughs) It's great. Uh, Yeah. And then feel free to ask some questions. We can, we can talk through some things as I'm going through it. We drafted this top five, but of course there's, you know, there's a lot in there. There's a lot to unpack, but these are the things that came to mind when we were thinking about, how do we guide our clients when when they think of human rights you know it's it can feel like a really broad term it can feel like there's so much in there there's labor rights there's gender justice there's diversity equity inclusion there's so many things um kind of broad brush level where do you start and for us what's really core to what we do and actually our ceo was part of the drafting of the un guiding principles on business and human rights so that is core to everything that we do that sets the expectation for business and when it comes to respecting human rights since 2011 when they were endorsed First. the U.N. guiding principles on business and human rights, we call them the U.N.G.P.s. So the U.N.G.P.s are the global standard. For preventing and addressing the risk of adverse impacts on human rights involving business activities, they expect companies to respect all internationally recognized human rights, including publicly committing to respecting human rights, identifying and assessing potential adverse human rights impacts that they might cause. They might also contribute to some negative impacts or maybe be directly linked. What the UNGP say is like, really, how do you take action and prevent, mitigate these adverse human rights impacts from happening, and when they do happen? What do you do about it? And really, what does that effectiveness look like as you are implementing and addressing those risks? So, that's really core to what we do. And it really helps guide everything. And then, so when we think about at the very highest level, I mentioned human rights policy. So, when you think about when you're doing your holiday shopping, does a company have a human rights policy? You can easily look that up on their website. You can do a quick search. Okay, does a company have a human rights policy? It's not the only box to check, but it's a really important one because are they really are they starting to talk about that internally and prioritizing it? So that's where we think about kind of that first screen. And then are they what are they doing to address their human rights impacts? So sometimes a lot of companies will have even more information about how do they identify those most salient risks um, within their operations supply chains. So what, you know, kind of on their website? What kind of information are they providing about how they are addressing that? So you have the commitment at the policy level, And then what what are those steps that they're taking? Um, So that's really something that we look for. Do they respect their own workers' labor rights? Do they screen their suppliers for human rights, including labor rights risks? Do they set expectations for their suppliers? So sometimes you can, I mean, if you really want to go deep, you can look at their supplier code of conduct. Do they mention human rights within that? Sometimes they can provide information about grievance mechanisms and how they go about that. Are communities, can they access a grievance mechanism or is it just for workers? So these are the types of things that you can try and understand a little bit more about how the company's operating. Again, like I said, the the website is a great place to start. If they don't have a human rights page specifically, some companies do, you'll see more and more of that, but usually it's embedded within sustainability. So when they talk about their sustainability efforts, both for people and planet, so then you'll be able to read a little bit more about human rights. And it's also really important to see how they're doing on the environmental side and do they talk about the environment and human rights together. So that's also something that we're seeing more and more companies do. That's one aspect. And then not only with the UNGPs and setting a commitment, but then are they, you know, for example, are they members of the UN Global Compact? The UN Global Compact has, they have a presence in over 100 countries, with 18,000 participating companies, so what the Global Compact does is they work to align operations and strategies of companies within these 10 universal principles. And there's a lot of you'll see a lot of the UNGPs within that. So there's a there's a ton of alignment between what the Global Compact is doing um, and the UNGPs. And so they are really looking across human rights, labor, environment, and anti-corruption. So you can easily look at the UN Global Compact site and see who their members are. So that's a great place to start as well. That's really great. Can I just step back for a second and ask,
0: because as you were describing, you know, what's available on just companies' websites, yeah. truly it seems to me just as a consumer that more and more businesses are putting more and more transparent information on their website. So I just wonder, since you've been in specifically this particular field yeah. for, you know, 20 or more years, yeah. what changes have you seen since you've started your career in this field?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And with Oxfam, we worked on one of the earliest scorecards of looking at the top 10 food and beverage companies. And that was all based on publicly available information. That was in 2013 when that campaign launched. And what I've seen over time since 2013 is you have more and more companies putting information on their website, right? So there were a lot of conversations with companies back at that time about, well, what are you doing? And a lot of them would say, we're doing so much, but it's really hard for us to say exactly what we're doing on the website. And so I think that that maturity has really improved, like in terms of cross companies, what they're reporting on, how they're being transparent. I've seen a ton of improvement and you see, you know, you definitely see like the the leading pack, but I think that that's, again, that's really helpful for other companies to, to see like, oh, we can do that. You know, that we already, there's already over a decade since the UN guiding principles. So yeah. more and more companies can see how does that go about? How are companies doing that? So they can actually use that as a, as a guide. Yeah. And I I think regulation, upcoming regulation, whether it's already come into effect, but already what's coming down the pike, Mm -hmm. that's also really motivating companies to be to be disclosing more information. Yeah. Yeah. And I think and investors too. investors are asking for this information. So there are a lot of really interesting factors that have gone into it over the past decade. um, And some of those are the ones that come to mind. But yeah, it's it's exciting. I'm glad to see it.
0: Yeah, me too. I love seeing it definitely makes a difference in my purchasing, so yeah. I'm glad more and more people are doing it. And I'm glad that it's proving to be effective for the business bottom line Right, to be more transparent, to be in a circular sort of environmental circularity with companies that will take back products that you're done with and recycle them and reuse yeah. the materials or these sort of buyback programs so that we're not just contributing to the Pacific trash yes, islands exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and just throwing exactly. the, the stuff away. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So. And consumers are asking for this, right? Exactly. Consumers and employees as well. Well, we've seen a lot of the research shows is that, you know, not only consumers, but then also employees, this is what they want to see in terms of their company yeah. um, to demonstrate that they're, they're being a good, you know, uh, corporate actor. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's great. All right, let's go back. What's what's your second point? Okay, in your number top two. Five?
1: Number two, avoid purchasing products made by companies that violate human rights. Easy to say. <laughs> Seems how, simple. <laughs> how do you get there? Okay, so there are a number of things. Obviously, so the you can do a quick Google search, and that'll bring up a number of things. If there's a big campaign or a big you know controversy, that's one quick scan that you can do. Another great resource is the Business and Human Rights Resource Center. This is a phenomenal platform, Uh, great people over there working day in and day out to document all the different violations that are happening and give uh, companies an opportunity to comment when rights holders have been impacted, whether that be, you know, workers at a site or communities that have been impacted. So the Business and Human Rights Resource Center is a fantastic website where you you can put in a company name and see everything that's popping up for that company over the years from the most recent to in the past. And then you can see if, has the company responded? How have they responded? There's a lot of great information on that website. So I suggest consumers go there. You can also look at Benchmarks. This is also a fantastic way to kind of look at how companies are performing. And it's usually like the top companies that are included in these benchmarks. There's the corporate human rights benchmark, which is something that we really look to when we support our clients. That is done by the World Benchmarking Alliance. That's a snapshot of 127 of the world's largest and most influential companies. And so they're really looking at company policies, processes, practices, right? And it's all looking at the expectations under the UN. And guiding principles on business and human rights. Fantastic benchmark. And there's the 2022 benchmark that assess companies from five different sectors. So you have apparel, Automotive, extractives, food and agricultural products, and also information communication technology. So the ICT sector. So that's a great website that you can look at, and tons of way to slice and cut the data in really fun ways. They also came out with a gender benchmark, so which was great. They really prioritized, and you know me, I'm the, I'm, a, I'm a gender justice champion, so it's great to see this that they really went deeper into the gendered aspects within companies' operations and how are they putting policy to practice. So that's also a great benchmark where they've looked at 35 influential apparel companies on gender equality and women's empowerment. There's a Fashion Transparency Index, which ranks 250 of the largest fashion brands, another one to look at. There's um, Know the Chain, which looks at forced labor in supply chains, global supply chains, another really good one to look at. Some of this stuff is a little more opaque when you go further into the supply chains. So there's benchmarks like Know the Chain, which is also really helpful. And then we all love chocolate. So there's one, we had to include one on chocolate. And having worked in the cocoa sector for a long time, this one's also good, um, an alloy that we've worked with, um, Be Slavery Free's chocolate scorecard ranks companies on the level of transparency and how are they paying workers? Are they paying them a, a living income? Are they using child forced labor? So it's interesting because Be Slavery Free estimates up to 95% of the chocolate industry is captured by this scorecard. So a great place to start if you want to think about buying some chocolate. That's amazing. Yeah. 95%. Wow. Yeah and then thinking about kind of modern slavery risks this is also something and again working for um an australian based human rights firm a lot of what we do is really around modern slavery Requirements. So there are several different countries that require companies to report on modern slavery risks, which is a helpful avenue to really look at. It's a great place to kind of look into what are the practices of a company. So, again, it's around modern slavery, but it's really opening up the view into more human rights risks. So there's mandatory reporting for companies uh, based on their modern slavery risks and actions. So this is all growing. The United Kingdom, Australia have modern slavery acts require hiring large companies to submit annual modern slavery statements. Again, another really helpful thing to look at on the website of a company that will be right up there um, where they post their modern slavery statement. And there's some great information about how they're addressing specific human rights impacts. So you have Australia specifically requires companies to describe their actions to identify, assess, and address modern slavery. Again, so it's really important as we look at that process that companies take, not only are you identifying it, but then how do you take action? So you'll hear that a lot about, you know, kind of how do we go about... How is it meaningful? How is it being effective? So that's really great that within the Australia Act. Canada actually recently introduced a similar style of reporting requirement that goes into effect starting next year. And so companies are really trying to understand what are they reporting on? Do they qualify? So they're going to start reporting in May next year, which is great. So again, there's going to be a lot of learning and we're going to learn as we go, but this is great when you see this happening just just across the border. And New Zealand is also, they announced this year that they will adopt modern slavery legislation. So that's also coming on that side of the globe. And with the UK and Australia, they're obviously more mature and there's been some time since they passed those acts. So you can actually go on the UK government site and you can look at modern slavery statement registry. So you can actually see like there are a lot of big department stores, well-known brands, and then they have their public statements there, what they are or are not doing around modern slavery. And Australian government also has that. Canada will, once they, they'll be launching this, this new uh, law. So that will be coming in the future. That's um, fantastic. So yeah. this is going to be for,
0: it only governs the businesses within those countries.
1: See, well, Yes, this question is, this, mark? <laughs> yes, I know. This is what's really interesting. So you can also have companies, say US-based companies that are doing, you know, have operations in Canada uh-huh. yeah. and they will qualify.
0: That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Because mm-hmm. I was just going to say, yeah. if they do only cover the Canadian companies under the Canada law, but then we're still able to see on public websites and you know you can shop from Canada that's right online and then it sort of hopefully it'll drive further adoption the EU, the US. Exactly. Other countries. I hope.
1: Yeah, exactly. You'll see a lot of well known brands that we that we see here in the US and they they will be reporting fantastic. um, Through their operations in Canada. Really exciting. Yeah. 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 (laughs) <laughs> um, <It> works, Sarah. <laughs> I know. We're so excited about all this. Um, yeah, and so another thing is living wage. This is something um I feel like this is really gaining so much momentum. It's really exciting. The UN Global Compact came out with a, a free tool for, for members to use just to really understand how do they go about this. So there's a lot of momentum through certification of businesses that pay a living wage in the UK and now in the US. When we think about living wage, it's really like when we buy products from a company, are they paying workers a living wage? Are they committed to working towards a living wage and its supply chain rights? Or are they... Are they doing the analysis to try and understand what that could look like, even if they aren't making a commitment right away, but doing living wage assessments? Because there's no universally agreed definition of living wage, and maybe that'll come soon, sooner than we might expect. But there is this general consensus that living wage means that you're enabling workers and their family to meet their basic needs, right? Because also, even though governments have a minimum wage, right? Uh, we see that here in the U.S. It's not necessarily enough, depending on where you live, right, to support your family, to enjoy your rights. So this is also the issue where even though, so minimum wage doesn't necessarily cover that en- full enjoyment of rights and, and, and fulfillment. So there are a number of things that you can look for. Living Wage Foundation is an example in the U.K. It's a UK based organization that certifies companies that pay a living wage. They have 14,000 companies listed on their website. Um, so that's fantastic. And then here in the US, another great organization called Living Wage for Us, this is also a group that's certifying businesses. And if you go on their site, you can see a lot of more and more brands that we would probably recognize. Also, a lot of local companies. So that's great. Um, And again, I mentioned this UN Global Compact has this free and confidential tool for companies. So if you, you know, it's hopefully more and more companies will start looking into this and they can start gauging whether or not they can do that. What steps do they have to take? So I I see it. uh, There's a lot of traction. So um, hopefully we'll see more coming soon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then... We have to talk about certification labels. Mm-hmm. Again, this could be a whole other podcast. <laughs> um, Probably not me that you would want. You'd have somebody, a certification expert. But this is really interesting because we've seen the proliferation of certification labels. And I remember over at Oxfam, there's a ton of talk in the early days, fair trade. There's different versions of fair trade. It's worth a mention of like, what do you look for? There are a number of prominent certification labels and schemes out there. And so it can probably feel very overwhelming. Like what is actually fair? What's ethical? Where, where do I start? So there's Fair Trade International, Better Cotton Initiative, Rainforest Alliance. When looking at these labels and certification, there are certain things. I mean, I, I won't say go this direction, buy this particular certification from this certification label. But what I can say is that you should be asked certain questions. Are they based on standards and guidelines that would be met in order to use this label? Like, is there an ISO certification number and label in the online information? Are certifications being made by independent third parties, right? There's companies have faced a lot of criticism when they've tried to start up their own certification labels, right? So it's really important to think about that third party, independent, unbiased, as unbiased as possible view of what the company is doing. And they should be going through third-party audits so that they can ensure that those certified products are still meeting relevant standards. And it's something to flag. We saw that Human Rights Watch actually cautions consumers against confusing certification of suppliers and similar social audits with proof of human rights and environmental due diligence. Again, like, you know, the highest standard is really taking a, you know, a deeper, more rigorous approach instead of just checking off a box saying, well, we we certify certain farms and we're good to go. It's really kind of embedding that process and that oversight and accountability that's so key. Yeah. Um, so that's something just to be thinking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Certification. Because, I just, again, as a consumer, maybe in the late 90s, early 2000s, when fair trade suddenly was everywhere, you know, Whole Foods was really like Mm -hmm. (laughs) sort of taking off and making a big deal. (laughs) um, That, you know, that was such an easy and convenient shorthand, that you're like, okay, I'm making good choices. Right. So that's something that's so super compelling about these kind of certifications. But as you say, they're way more complicated. And it's making me wonder, is there a risk of the same kind of greenwashing that can happen with environmentally friendly companies that say they're doing a lot for the environment, but it's really just a PR scheme right. and their actual record isn't that good, but they look like like... <laughs> Specifically, you know, we're not naming specific brands here, but, you know, some big national American, say, fast food, junk food companies that, you know, put their product in a natural looking bag so that it looks healthier or that it looks like it's, you know, made with ethically sourced farm agriculture product when really it's, likely the same product that they're (laughs) they're sourcing the rest of the food from, you know? Exactly. Yeah.
1: There are some brands that are doing more than others. And we talk about this as, you know, uh, in like our day to day, you know, should I go with that brand or that brand? And sometimes it's really hard to say, but I can, you know, I can tell you like these types of companies are coming in and, and and really asking the tough questions. And like, you know, again, we're not naming brands or companies today, but I am really encouraged by a lot of what's happening definitely in the U.S. Um, with a lot of the brands and and in Europe specifically, like as, as they're gearing up for regulation. So I think it's important to remain critical and continue to ask those questions. There is Greenwashing, just as there's blue washing, right? So that companies can say that they're sustainable. But I think that's why when we were talking at the beginning, really thinking about those policies and practices, what do they have on their website? If their human rights uh, policies maybe a paragraph, and they have nothing else on their website that's, I, you should be asking some questions. Are they really taking this seriously? You know, you have to couple it with, you know, yes, you you need to be mindful of greenwashing, bluewashing, but then you can dig deeper and really try and see, you know, you can't go as deep as you would like, but really understand what is, how is a company addressing it? And that's, that's, that's a good step. Yeah. Great. mm <laughs> Hard. It's It's so hard. A lot of research. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that's also why the Business and Human Rights Resource Center these benchmarks. It's so helpful where they've already done all a lot of the hard work, and the information's there. And then you can see how our companies responding. If they're not responding, that type of engagement is so important. So again, there there are websites, so people shouldn't feel too overwhelmed. I know it sounds like a lot, but there are there are some great resources out there. Yeah. um, Yeah, to help you navigate. And, um, yeah, I mean, I guess a couple of other things. I mean, there's also the environment you mentioned the environmentally friendly products, and I mean we we won't talk about environmental due diligence, but uh, you know, it is again, our companies doing you know, are they addressing environmental due diligence? And that's also, we see it more and more coupled with human rights, due diligence. And you'll see that a lot in the in the regulation that's coming up in the EU. So you can kind of see like maybe if a company's really strong on the environmental side and they start talking about human rights, that's also a good sign Yeah, um, of, of potentially like a company's really taking action. Yeah, they are yeah. inextricably linked.
0: Right. And it's becoming clearer and clearer. You know, every, every summer we're hotter than ever. It's right. pushing migration. People simply can't live in a lot of places where they lived before and including in the US right and you know are forced to move and migrate which has so many trickle down human rights implications and migration and immigration and yeah. global global
1: implications exactly you can't separate yeah. the two yeah yeah mm-hmm. um Yeah, and I'll just, uh, there are a couple of other things that, you know, other considerations when shopping this holiday season or just gift giving in general over throughout the course of the year as you're thinking about giving gifts. Of course, you can always buy secondhand. I love second. You and I, we love secondhand <laughs> shopping. <laughs> or even thinking about repurposing something that you already own. Mm-hmm. You know, it's been loved and it can be loved again yep. uh, by someone else. So that's also something to think about. So it's like thinking about your own habits. And are there things that you could be repurposing or buying secondhand uh, where you don't necessarily need to buy it? Yeah,
0: or, that became... Know. Such a big, important thing, um, I think, for both of us when we became parents. Yes. We both have children. Our kids are around the same age. And we're part of a bigger group of mothers and fathers in our community of other parents. And in my personal experience, nine years ago, when my daughter was born, it was like, getting all these new gifts from people and we wanted everything new and shiny but then once you're an actual parent <laughs> like kids grow so fast they have developmental leaps they no longer want the little toys they grow out of their clothes so mm-hmm. quickly and there are so many robust networks of parents and families you know informal stores but also in informal networks online on social media that just pass Outgrown kids' stuff to each other. And it is the absolute best thing in the entire world because nobody needs a brand new, like, baby jumper. <laughs>
1: No, as cute as it is. As cute as it is for two months, right?
0: Like, (laughs) let me give you the things that my daughter really loved and, you know, give it to you for free or give it to you at like a deep, deep, deep discount and let your kids take care of it and, you know, then pass it on to the next people that are falling behind your children, you know?
1: Yeah, it's been such a great resource. I get so excited when I get, you know, I'm able to reuse things. Absolutely. So I completely agree. I think, yeah. And there's like a buy, like some buyback programs, right? just like of toys and things like that, mm-hmm. um, which is also great, whether they recycle them or reuse, reuse yeah, them. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I think that's where I'll, I'll leave things. I mean, this was the, again, there's so much, there's so much to talk about, but those are the quick things that come to mind from our, you know, as we're doing this work um, and as we've seen it evolve over the years since yeah. the UN Guiding Principles, there's just, there's, there's so many rich examples of uh, of what companies that are doing it right are trying to do the right thing. So I leave you with that. I'm feeling hopeful. There's like some great products, some great brands out there that are doing good things. Um, Fabulous. Yeah.
0: Sarah, thank you so much for listing all of these resources. I'm going to make sure that we put links to the specific resources, especially in your first point into the show notes so that people can find them easily. And, you know, also just like, these are small, these are probably what, you know, our listeners are doing in their daily lives. But just to add, which I know that you do too, things that I look for, I look for local products. We live in an area that has a ton of holiday craft fairs and also just like maker fairs throughout the year. So I always look for local products. I look for products that are made by women, that are made by people of color, that are made by indigenous people. I look for products that use recycled materials or renewable materials. I also try to pay attention, even when I'm shopping online from huge corporations, I try to pay attention to clothes that are size inclusive and have a broader range of sizing because that's really, really important. I also try to look for clothes that... Certain companies now are making more clothes that are adaptive for people that have mobility issues. And some of them are public about that. So I try to shop for that, especially for children. My daughter has a few brands that we shop from for her that, you know, and also that uh, prioritize unisex clothes and gender neutrality in their clothes. It's not like the girl's section, the boy's section. So just try to think broadly about places I can put my money that show, like, my commitment to human rights and just human dignity so that corporations can say, okay, well, people liked it when we did this, so (laughs) let's keep putting dinosaurs on the girls'
1: dresses, right? That kind of thing. Yeah, they're watching. They are definitely taking note of our purchasing practices. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. That's great. Exactly.
0: And it's nice, actually, to do that in a way without having to, like, plant a flag and saying, I'm boycotting the bad practices, which, of course— is an absolutely effective mechanism that we have as citizens and as consumers. But it's also nice to just say, like, oh, you are noticing when I'm putting my money. Where you're putting your products where your mouth is, I'm going to put my money yeah, there, yeah. too. Yeah.
1: No, that's great. Um, This has been an absolute pleasure. Thank Thank you for having me. Thank
0: you, Sarah.
1: (laughs) So much fun. You're the
0: absolute best. Okay. Oh,
1: and and I want to say a quick thank you to my pillar two team. Yes. They were just fantastic in helping me think through this content. And in particular, Chantel, Chani, Silva, thank you so much. You're just pulling together great content. So thank you,
0: thank you so much to you and your team. I will also put a link to Pillar Two in the show notes so that people can find you too and the rest of your team and see the work that you're doing. Um, but great, thank,
1: thank you, thank you, and happy gift giving season. Happy gift
0: giving, happy happy winter time, happy summer holidays for you in the southern hemisphere.
1: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, take care. Bye.
0: Maggie again. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Sarah Zowen. If you want to learn more about Sarah's work at Pillar 2, you can find her at pillar-2.com. The resources we listed in our conversation can be found in your show notes. Thanks to our podcast team, Ali Gilliard, Rachel Harris, and Peter Kokoma. You can find Justice Matters on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else you find your podcasts. We encourage you, as always, to rate, review, and share the podcast. And we would really love to hear from you. We want to know what you think about this episode and the others we've done this season. Email us at carcenterhks.harvard.edu. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.